Tonight, homelessness, justice, and action. As the city experiences a housing crisis, a frank conversation with the advocates, volunteers, and journalists who are fighting for the rights and dignity of the homeless. Their thoughts on what needs to be done to ensure that every New Yorker has a place to call home. Metro Focus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin, the JPB Foundation. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jenna Flanagan. Tonight, we're taking a deeper look at housing inequality in our country with a focus on homelessness and how the media reports on it. Now, recently, the WNET group wrapped a five-week virtual town hall series called Close to Home, which examined housing inequality from a variety of angles and perspectives. The town halls tackled some hard questions, such as how should we understand the increasing criminalization of homelessness across America? And is the right to shelter enough for meeting the call of this moment or merely an essential starting place? Now, this evening, as part of our Chasing the Dream initiative, we welcome three panelists who recently took part in the Close to Home series to share their reflections. Now, first, we'd like to welcome Donald H. Whitehead, Jr. Donald is the executive director of the National Coalition for the Homeless. Donald has worked on homelessness, recovery, and racial equity for more than 25 years, and he also experienced homelessness firsthand five years. Donald, welcome to Metro Focus. Jenna, thank you so much for having me, uh, and I really appreciate the opportunity and look forward to the conversation today. Absolutely. Up next, I'd like to welcome Kelly Hall Tompkins. Kelly is a prize-winning violinist and founder and director of Music Kitchen Food for the Soul, a program that brings classical music performances to homeless shelters in New York and other cities. The New York Times named Hall Tompkins a New Yorker of the Year for her homeless outreach. Kelly, welcome to Metro Focus. Jenna, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to a great discussion as well. Absolutely. And last but certainly not least, I'd like to welcome Jessel Noor. Jessel Noor is a Baltimore-based journalist that covers housing, criminal justice, public education, and democracy for outlets such as The Atlantic, Baltimore Beat, and Yes Magazine. Jessel, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It, thank you. Now, first, I want to start off with the issue that I touched on in the intro. And Donald, I'll go with you first. And that is the increasing criminalization that we're seeing of homeless people. And I think this would be an issue that would be incredibly sensitive to a lot of New Yorkers, especially right now, as we're dealing with a criminal case where the uh, a homeless person in crisis, in a mental health crisis in public, um, has turned into a criminal case about whether or not someone had the right to subdue and then unfortunately causing their untimely death. But how did we get to this 
point? So, uh, Jenna, thank you. A, a really important question. Uh, we've always had a demonization of the poor uh, in America from, from its founding. Um, there were vagrancy laws that uh, were created at the beginning of this country that went uh, into the mid-70s, 1970s. Um, but the issue of the criminalization of homelessness really started uh, with the demonization of poor people in general. So uh, during the Reagan administration, there were huge cutbacks in programs. We've also seen a change in the demographics in the homeless population. And, and we do believe that that has impact on how people are being treated uh, we found that in more than 168 cities, there's a law that makes it basically illegal to be homeless. Now, the population of people that are on the streets uh, in tents and in encampments has grown dramatically. And cities, in response to that, have started this practice of criminalization. And what they have done is arrest people for things like sleeping or sitting or standing in public. And the, the real core of the issue is that that criminalization absolutely does nothing to end homelessness. Uh, people cycle in and out of jail. Sometimes it's forced institutionalization. None of that results in housing. And that's truly what we need. Uh, but it's a growing phenomenon in the country. And it actually has started to even filter into some of our more progressive communities. So it, it's it's an issue that we really, really need a resolution to. And, and the real solution is uh, adequate, safe and affordable housing. Well, Kelly, I want to bring you in and get your perspective, especially with your organization. I would assume that a classical music performance isn't something people would associate with a homeless shelter. Um, and so why did you feel that was something not only worth doing, but important to do across the country? Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, when I moved to New York, it's, it, I actually didn't put two and two together with my founding of Music Kitchen. But when I moved to New York, I do remember um, in the 90s, I believe, that that classical music was used in, say, Penn Station to try to remove homeless people, to try to deter them from uh, from congregating. Oddly enough, um, you know, back then when I was a student, we would uh, we would play classical music live and draw large crowds. And that was fine. But classical music was piped in to deter and disperse homeless uh, encampments or crowds or just people sleeping or resting or, or, or loitering or whatever. Um, so I, when I was uh, looking for a place to run through a, a solo program in 2004, I ended up doing that for the, the soup kitchen where I was also a volunteer cook at my church. And it was so profoundly moving to the people and to me um, I didn't think that that would be the case. It was uh, a violin concerto without even the proper accompaniment. But when I had that, um, you know, that that initial experience, I had the idea that bringing classical music to people regularly is something that celebrates and acknowledges their humanity, our shared humanity, um, that gives them solace and inspiration to transcend the circumstances that they find themselves in. And you're absolutely right. It was it was an uphill battle when I founded Music Kitchen in 2005 to get potential funders and also shelter administrators in some cases to understand the value. It's not the life and death um, type of level of service that 
that is required in a shelter that, you know, the shelter and food and medical care and all of that. But very close to that is our mental health and our our self-expression, our artistic, um, you know, expression of self. We either have to participate in or be the recipient of something artistic for our own, you know, human humanity. And so I think it's important for that reason. And I've noticed the tremendous um, changes and and uh, just just the effects that, uh -huh. that our concerts have had over the years. Well, Jess, I want to bring you in and get your perspective on the media's responsibility and how the public at large is viewing uh, homeless people without homes. Um, and I ask that question because, I mean, as a member of the media myself, I do know that we hold immense power in our ability, whether we intend to or not, to shape public perspective and conversation. So from your perspective as a journalist, where does the media fall in terms of how we talk about people who lack a home? Thanks, and that's a that's a great um, and great and important question. I think the media, um, you know, as other panelists alluded to, need to reckon with their role, the role they've played in demonizing homeless people, um, especially people of color, um, the historical relationship um, between wealth and race in this country. Um, needs to be examined um, and um, just looking at the racial wealth gap in this country, right? Those are intentional policies like segregation and, and redlining that led to this weight, uh, wealth gap. And so I think, I don't think you can talk about, I think mean, you have a discussion about um, homelessness and equality in this country and equity without talking about how government policies created that wealth gap and created poverty um, and these racial disparities we're looking at. Um, also, I think the media has a responsibility um, to talk about solutions. And we, you know, um, we can talk about problems all day, but if we're not talking about solutions, we're not giving the public the information they need to be educated participants in our democracy. So um, I think we need to look at, we need to evaluate the, the actions that cities are taking and actually hold them accountable. Um, you know, places like Vienna, have uh, and you know and many other European cities have effectively ended homelessness. I went to Amsterdam last year, and I didn't really. You don't see the same level of homelessness you see um, in in the United States, any major city I've been in. And when you once you like, peel back the layers of that, um, you see that other other places, other you know countries have um, have stopped looking at at housing as a commodity, and they've looked at it as a human right. And if the goal is to have a more equal society, have a society where you feel safe to go outside and people feel valued, um, I think that is a place where we need to start. We can't we can't keep looking at the U.S. as a um, you know as uh, beyond comparing with other places. Like these, like our societies are not that different. Um, and I think we need to look at um, policies like giving tax breaks to developers. And, you know, in Baltimore, for example, billions of dollars have been given to developers in the last few decades to build affordable housing and very few, just a handful of actual units have been created. Um, and this uh, vast problem of housing insecurity and homelessness persists. So I think journalists need to take a deeper look and um, do their job in holding officials accountable for this crisis. 
Donald, I want to come back to you and sort of build off of what Jessel was just talking about um, in terms of how we view homeless people and really what he's describing as human rights issues. The other side of the coin seems to be that as we criminalize homelessness, a lot of people might say, well, you know, I want to be able to walk in my neighborhood and not have people accost me for money or something like that. I want to be able to comfortably, you know, take my child out in a stroller and not be concerned that someone might come up and try to, you know, ask us for money or food or something like that. How does that fit into how we readjust the way that we're addressing this issue? Because as you said, um, the criminalization of homelessness is not just something that only certain communities are starting to consider. It seems to be spreading to all communities. Uh, absolutely. And I think I think uh, both uh, Jessel and Kelly made some really important points. And, and I think it really comes down to the messaging. And, 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 and I want to share this with people who are struggling with wanting to have a community that's safe and uh, that they don't have to encounter people. Uh, what we need to do is create a right to housing, as Jessel said in this country, decommodify housing. And once we do that, People won't be on the street. They won't be accosting you. Uh, it, it isn't a moral issue. It, it doesn't have anything to do uh, with people's choices. Now, there are choices that could move people in the direction of becoming homeless, but these issues are systemic issues that we've never tackled. And it's systemic racism is one. Uh, our, 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 our abject poverty in this country is another one. And uh, what we uh, have forced people uh, to, to go through to be able to get uh, a quality of life in this country is just, uh, it's, it's, it's really in, incomprehensible what, what we've done to especially black and brown people in this country. But the message is this, we all want the same thing. We want safe, healthy communities. The way we do that is we provide the resources at the level that we never have in this country. So as far as homelessness goes, we have never provided resources at the level uh, to be able to really be able to uh, address the issue of homelessness. It's always been a piecemeal approach. We've also always kind of pitted one poor population against the other. Uh, one year we provide enough resources for veterans. The next year it's enough for children. We never get to the point where we're looking at the entire population. Now, uh, uh, Jessel is absolutely right. Vienna, Finland, uh, they've they've come up with solutions and uh, that have really dramatically decreased homelessness in our country. And the way they've done that is, is they've stopped demonizing people and understood that uh, everybody uh, comes from uh, the same source. We, we all are people with the same blood flowing through our veins. And uh, we can't continue to blame people or force them to prove their need. If we continue to do that, we'll always have homelessness in this country. And again, we're all, we all want the same thing. We want healthy communities. We want healthy babies in our country. Um, and we're not, we're not doing the job to be able to get there. But I would also say, I love Kelly's idea because uh, I love Langston Hughes. He's my favorite poet. And, and Langston Hughes has a poem called Harlem. And he asked the question, what happens to a dream deferred? And nothing happens. They just need to be reawakened. Uh, and I think uh, providing music and creativity allows people to reconnect with those dreams. So I love that program. And I think that's more of what we need to do. Uh, we need to 
to connect to people's humanity in this world. And, and we certainly can change the trajectory of homelessness. Yeah, and I would add just um, if I may, um, you know, to the people that are feeling uncomfortable when they when they see someone home, that's homeless to experience homelessness, I would say um, I would say okay, you feel that level of discomfort, hold on to that because that is just a fraction of what someone is feeling that is actually experiencing homelessness. And you know, imagine we just put put yourself in those shoes. You know, getting to the point. Where you have to, where you have to do that. You have to panhandle to just to try to get a roof over your head, um, and then look, and then look at other societies. No other wealthy society has this level of inequality. You know, doesn't that doesn't guarantee housing? Doesn't guarantee healthcare? You know, um, uh, um, a lack of healthcare is the leading cause of bankruptcy in this country. That does not exist in any other wealthy country, and we are living in the wealthiest society. Um, other countries pay. You know, end up paying far less to create housing than the United States states do because they don't prioritize the profits of a handful of people. So I think we really need to look at what our values are, and the media needs to do a better job and and you know talk less about the discomforts of someone seeing someone that's homeless and actually humanize people that are experiencing this and see what can be done about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I also something. Yeah. Yeah, I also would like to add. I mean, I I completely agree. I think Donald and Jessel make some one. Uh, some absolutely on point references about the the systemic problems behind homelessness, the the wealth inequality, um, the demonization of those who are homeless. But in my more limited perspective, I have seen also that uh, there are issues that create homelessness that don't begin as economic issues. I've seen anecdotally people who experience a, a traumatic, dramatic emotional event. And, and that then spirals into what becomes an economic circumstance. For example, I, I met a woman who was featured in a Music Kitchen's film actually, and she told me that um, between she and her wife, they lost seven family members in the span of five months. Um, they, they passed away. And the her wife was so distraught that she couldn't deal with it. She left her with a mortgage she couldn't afford. And so there was a limited, it was a two person mortgage and she was left to take care of their, their household expenses alone. And it wasn't very long um, before she, you know, became homeless for not being able to manage all of that. In another case um, from someone that I met in Los Angeles, she was a pianist. Um, she lost all of her family in a fire, all of her children, except for one, her parents and several of her children and she and another another child survived. She was unable to go into a building, not even a shelter, um, for several years. She just was emotionally distraught. And I met her because that day she happened to go into the shelter for a meal. They tried to get her to stay there for safety. Um, she wouldn't do that. But she heard our concert that day. And when we came back to the same shelter a year later, she came in once again. Um, to to attend that concert, but she was she had to get to her own place emotionally before she was ready. Now apparently she has another apartment again, and she's she's back in her home. But there are circumstances that that are even beyond um, just the systemic economic ones, which are so real and so much a fabric of this society. I would add to that to the systemic aspect of it. 
that there is a projection uh, of what homelessness looks like. And I am uh, through Music Kitchen, I work very much to decouple that perception that homelessness is focused on communities of color. It isn't. If there's one thing that I've noticed in, in um, Music Kitchen for its 18 years is that there is no prerequisite for homelessness. There, these economic circumstances can befall anyone um, and certainly the emotional circumstances that can cause such devastation can befall anyone. Um, and that homelessness has many, many, many faces. So I think in, in my opinion, there's not gonna be a solution to ending homelessness from occurring because human life is messy and, and sometimes very sad and tragic. But we as a society systemically have to have have to provide a soft landing, have to recognize, as um, Donald and Jessel have said, the right to shelter rather than the commoditization of shelter in those instances. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's I think it's an important thing to realize that it's 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 insidious because it, it is economic and, and well beyond. So, well, just, so Kelly, yeah. I would. I'd, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jenna. Were you about to Oh, say no, I was just going to ask that with I mean, all of you have brought up the importance of the right to shelter and Jessel, you mentioned uh other cities and other countries where they have addressed that. One of the first pushbacks, one of the bigger pushbacks that you hear in this country at least is that but if everyone has a right to shelter, um basic economics most people, their home is their biggest economic investment. And so if everyone has access to the same thing, doesn't that lower the value of what so many people have put so much time, energy, and money into? That seems to be a big fear that a lot of people have is that if there's low-income housing in my neighborhood, the value of my home is going to go down. And I've put everything into my home, and that's my biggest asset. So, so let me let me address that particular point because that's a really good uh, point uh, that is incorrect. So, um, when uh, we started to create permanent supportive housing units around the country, there were um, uh, studies that looked at the the housing value in those communities. Mm -hmm. uh, you would maybe be surprised, and other people would be surprised that the housing value actually went up when uh, new buildings were created in those communities. So people, and, and that's the sum of us. Uh, I don't know if people have read that. It, it really talks about that fundamental issue that people uh, do not uh, vote for, they don't approve, our elected officials don't um, create uh, resources because they think by creating resources for others, they actually lose things themselves. And that's absolutely not true. Uh, the truth is, if is if you raise uh, the level of people who are at the bottom of the economic ladder, it actually also benefits. Instead of the 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 top down method, the top up method is actually what really is more effective in this country. And I, I also wanted to speak to the idea. Uh, I think it's so important that we tell the stories, like Kelly just told us. Mm -hmm. So you know, people's vision of homelessness is very different from the reality and the trajectory that people have to get there, all the different things they have to, the levels they go to to finally get on the street uh, in an encampment in a tent in this country. It's it's a long story. It's not an immediate story. It doesn't happen right away. Uh, but I will also, I wanted to add, Kelly, that we're not saying that only people of color are experiencing homelessness. What oh, we're no. saying is because of our system, 
people oh, experiencing absolutely. homelessness are more likely, uh, there's an overrepresentation of people of color. So 13% of the population in this country is black. 40% of the homeless population are black people. So the overrepresentation is really um, the issue that we want to talk about. Why is that? It's because of systems that have created a wealth gap in this country. And, you know, the one the one issue I, I always bring up when people, you know, sometimes people will try to say, well, it's because of this behavior or that behavior. If we look at infant mortality in this country, if we look at how bad uh, and how uh, different the the infant mortality is for black women. So this this statistics always blows me away that black women with an advanced degree have the same infant mortality rate is actually higher than a white woman with less than a high school education. So income doesn't impact that, uh, nor does the place that you live. Uh, so it absolutely is a systemic issue. And, and, and I'm, I'm just saying that in most communities, in urban communities, it's more than 70% in some places. Washington, D.C., over 70% of the people are African-American. So we do have this over-representation of people of color, and it really goes back to uh, the, the disadvantages and the inequality in our criminal justice system, our mental health system. The reason it's systemic is that we don't have enough resources for people with mental health issues. And Sorry, I meant to clarify that it's, uh -huh. I think it's actually the media's portrayal, not not anything that's been said today. I feel like the media has broadly, you know, used um, people of color, specifically African-Americans, as the face of homelessness, as somehow the definition of uh, in the makers, you know, the sort of Ayn Randian makers takers argument that that um, that people of color are the takers and not the productive members of society. So it's mainly that that I was taking issue with. Right. But I think the systemic the systemic um, mechanisms that work upon communities of color are very very real and um, explain you know generationally as we know um, so much of the disparity and inequality that we experience today and you know in 2023 well unfortunately we are going to have to leave it there but this is an ongoing conversation that the wnet group will continue to have especially here on metro focus thank you to all three of my guests uh jessel noor kelly hall tompkins and of course donald h whitehead jr thank you all so much for joining me tonight thank you all um thank you it's been a thank pleasure, you. It's a pleasure. You. absolutely Thanks for tuning in to MetroFocus. You can take our award-winning program with you wherever you go with MetroFocus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play MetroFocus, the podcast. Also available at MetroFocus.org, WLIW.org slash radio, and on the NPR One app.